Let's go to Luke chapter 18. Enjoyed studying the book of Luke. And of course, Luke was written by a doctor. Uh, Luke was a medical doctor, and Paul, in his ministry, began to travel. And Paul had been beaten multiple times, multiple shipwrecks. He probably had an eye issue that limited him to do a lot of things on his own. And God gave him a constant companion in Luke. He was with him all the way until his head was removed from his body uh, in Rome. He stayed with him. He wasn't with him from the beginning, but somewhere, we believe, maybe in that school of Tyrannus where they were training medical doctors, he may have met him there in Ephesus, or he may have met him in Philippi or Thessalonica, but one of those places, Luke came to know the Lord, and he traveled with the Apostle Paul. He may have been financed by a guy, a guy named Theophilus, a lover of God, maybe a, a bureaucrat in the, um, in the Roman Empire that came to know Christ as Savior, who may have said, I'll finance you. Stop your practice and take care of this guy, Paul. And in the process, he wrote two books of the Bible. The two longest books in our New Testament were written by Luke, Luke and the book of Acts. They chronicle the life of Jesus in the book of Luke, and they chronicle the life of the New Testament church, the first New Testament church, after Jesus went back to heaven in the book of Acts. It's, they're great. And you could tell that he researched. As a matter of fact, he opens up his letter saying, after I have investigated and interviewed many witnesses, I feel like I have a good, or he called it a complete, perfect understanding of all things, how they happened from the beginning. I want to write to you, O Theophilus. Anyone who loves God would love the book of Luke and the book of Acts because it talks about our Savior and his work in our day. And I'm so glad we can look at this. Luke chapter 18 is where we find our reading today. I'm going to ask you to look back, if you would please, at Luke 17. Just look back a little bit as we concluded last week. We talked about increasing our faith or what true faith will do. We went through different lessons on that. Won't go back to there, but I will let you know that Jesus is saying that just like in the days of old time, the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the world we live in today. And I want you to just notice that real quickly. And then, of course, on the, on the heels of that, he's going to go into Luke chapter 18. Let's look, if we can, please, at 17, if you would. And we'll look down in the, in the bottom, or well, the bottom of my Bible, maybe not the same one in yours real quickly. But verse 26, and the Bible says of 17, verse 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, or Noe, uh, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and drink and were married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered to the ark. And the flood came and, the, and they destroyed them all. Likewise was it in the days of Lot, or Sodom and Gomorrah, when they did eat and they drank and they bought and they sold and they planted and they builded. And the same day Lot went out to Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and suddenly destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and he his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. He that is in the field, let him do likewise. Remember Lot's wife. And of course, it kind of gives a story. Now, there's several similarities in those two stories of Noah and the flood and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Several things are very obvious. Number one, it was wicked days. It was perverse days. There were days of plenty. Money wasn't a problem in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Money wasn't a problem or finances, possession was not the good cry of the day in Noah. Matter of fact, people had plenty to eat and plenty to drink and they rose up to play. It was pleasure, it was food, it was drink, it was do this, do that. It was, it was, a, it was a, a prosperous day, but it was a perverse, wicked day. You know, that I think that describes today, don't you think? Most, most uh, people in America, we don't have a, um, we, we, may not, we wish we had a little bit more money, but money is not really our major issue today, society-wise. It's, it's immorality. It's perversion. It's wickedness of all, of all shapes and sizes. Well, those two days have something similar to our day. It's wicked, perverse day. Number two, I think the second thing is that grace was shown. Even in a wicked day, the darker the night, the brighter the light. In the wicked day that was, and God thought about, look, you know what? I'll just destroy all mankind and start over again. This is terrible. But then the Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God put a remnant there in the world and appeal to them to come to God and get into the ark and be saved from the wrath to come. Even in Sodom and Gomorrah, he told, he said, there's grace. He said, I'm going to destroy it. Get your family out. He said, Lord, if I can come up with 50, ah, 40, ah, 30, ah, 20, oh no. How about 10? If I can come up with 10 Christians in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you choose to not destroy it? He said, yeah. Find 10. And when he went soul winning and tried to get his friends, they made fun of him. Are you kidding me? Your lackadaisical way in which you live, you're a Christian? And you want to tell us? Come on. Because his life didn't match his lips. And he was as one that mocked. But God still gave him grace and time to repent. And you know, today, this world may hate Christ. They may hate the local church. They may hate things that are done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the greatest gift this world has. And we ought to be a good gift. We ought to be one that's unwrapped with the beauty of God, the beauty of Christ, the love of forgiveness, uh, grace and mercy and kindness and honesty and an upright living and pay your bills on time and take care of your responsibilities because this world doesn't need another cheap imitation of itself. It needs someone that's genuinely, specially anointed by God. You are an act of grace in the hand of God to this perverse generation. It was a wicked day. There was grace shown. And there was sudden and very severe judgment brought. Worldwide flood. I kind of thought this morning we might have an ark somewhere parked around here with all the rain we've gotten. But the world got flooded very quick. And the door was closed, but sudden destruction came, and there was no remedy for anyone who changed their mind. In the Sodom and Gomorrah, there was time, get out. Lot's wife turned around, looked at it. Severe um, fire and brimstone came. Water and now fire destroyed the city completely. It was sudden destruction. And dear friend, the same way it was in Sodom and Gomorrah, the same way it was in the flood of Noah, it's coming to this generation as well. I don't know for sure if I'll be alive when the Lord comes back, but I'll tell you, this world's going to cry uncle one day. 
It's going to, the Bible says the, everything we see is going to melt one day with a fervent heat. There is fire in everything you see. There's fire in your jacket. There's fire in your tie. There's fire in the pew. There's elements that are coming together that when they let go, God's going to burn this world with a fervent heat. We can read all about that in the book of Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He said, I'm going to deal with it. And sudden destruction is coming. And even this world, I think they know there's some, we can't go too much further like this without some consequence. Nature itself tells you there's something going on. We find there was wicked days, there was grace shown, there was sudden destruction and severe destruction, and then there, were, there was a, only a few saved in both of those situations. And it goes right along with what the Bible says in Matthew, out of Jesus' own voice when he preached that message. He said, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And most people are on a breakneck pace to the lake of fire, ignoring all the signs and the billboards that point them to Jesus. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And, and many go there. But narrow is the way that leadeth to light. And few there be that find it. And I'm, telling you, I'm thankful that God was so merciful to find me and to show me the gospel. And if you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. Don't be among the masses on their way to eternal destruction. Do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? If you don't know about that, don't leave this room this morning without getting that stake taken care of. God loves you. No one, you know, falls into hell. They climb into hell. They climb over the local church and over gospel tracts and faithful witnesses and the love of God and radio broadcasts and television broadcasts and, and the mercies of God that have been showed to us. Make sure that you come to Jesus. I'm not asking you to come to this church. This church can't save you. I'm not asking you to get into a baptistry water so you can get saved. That water cannot wash away your sin. You don't get baptized to get saved. You get baptized because you are saved. I'm asking you to come to Jesus because he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. In that passage of scripture, he's the shepherd in chapter 10. It's interesting, sheep, they, they need direction, that's why he's the way. They need discernment, that's why he's the truth. And they need defense, that's why he's the life. And uh, boy, I needed all those too. I need, I need somebody to protect me <laughs> from, my, from myself and from my sin. And that's Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Well, on the backdrop of chapter 17, we have uh, chapter 18. We're looking at 17, but now we're coming to 18. And Jesus tells them a parable. Now, this parable is very unique. And he tells us this one and the next parable. He tells us why he gives the story. He said, now, here's the reason I'm going to tell you this story. And then he tells a story. A parable in the Bible is an earthly story that has a spiritual truth. And so he tells them ahead of time, here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Look at verse number one, would you please? Luke chapter number 18. And he spake a parable unto them to this end. This was the purpose. Would you read it with me? That men ought always to pray. He says, I want you, I'm going to tell you this story, and here's my purpose. Here's my end. Here's the reason I'm telling you a story. That men would learn that they ought always to pray and not to faint. See, if you pray, you're probably not going to faint. And if you're fainted, it's probably because you haven't prayed. 
He said, I want you to pray, and I want you not to quit praying. He said, this is the reason he gives us this story. Look at verse number 2. Can we please? Luke chapter 18, the Bible says, saying, here's my story, Jesus said. There was, a, there was in a city a judge that feared not God, nor or neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And um, it was a lady, a widow, is someone who'd lost her husband. Now, today, widows in our culture, they, at least most of them will have social security. And many of them will have children that will take it. But it was not uncommon for the most vulnerable people in this day were people, ladies who had lost their husbands and, and children who had lost their dads, the fatherless and the widows were in heavy affliction normally and very vulnerable to adversarial, greedy, covetous people who would try to take advantage of them. It still does today, but it's, it was really on steroids at this time. It was a lot of very vulnerable lady. But there was a lady in a certain, in a certain city who had a judge. And the judges in the Roman Empire were known to be corrupt, cruel, apathetic, um, Greedy, they, they really didn't care about their constituents. They, they wanted to see how much money they could get, how many bribes they could get. They were very unscrupulous in how they did it, and this guy was no different. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about human beings. He just got a position made to him by the Roman emperor, and now he's the judge. And in that same city, there was a widow woman. Let's see what the Bible tells us about her. Verse number three, and she came to him saying, avenge me, of mine adversary. I have someone who has taken advantage of me. He's trying to defeat me. He's trying to steal from me. He is afflicting me. Please make him stop. That was her petition. Avenge me. Protect me from my adversary. Verse number four. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said unto within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continuing coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. So he, he, she goes to this guy everywhere he goes. I could just imagine him getting off his carriage, and she's right there saying, Please, judge, I know I saw you in court, and you didn't do anything, but please avenge me of my adversary. He was coming out of the courthouse, avenge me of my adversary. She just, everywhere he was, I'm sure he would be eating over there at Starbucks or something. She would go, please, avenge me of my adversary, please. Wherever he would make his way in the community. She, she went to court. He didn't do anything. So he kept, she kept finding him. She had a not give up attitude about it because she was desperate. She could do nothing to avenge herself and she needed his help. And so she began, by the way, what makes us uh, interested in asking for help is helplessness. <laughs> she couldn't do it herself. She needed the help of this unjust judge. But this unjust judge didn't care about her, didn't care about God, didn't care about her. But he finally said to himself, look, I don't give a rip about God. I don't give a rip about her. She'd drive me crazy. Whatever she needs Get that clown to quit bothering her right now. Let's go do it. She drives, she's driving me crazy. Now, this story is going to make a, trans, make a transition. And sometimes you want to be careful. You don't make a parallel from this unjust judge to the God that the Bible speaks about, your heavenly father. He's nothing like him. Okay? This is a story not of parallel, but of contrast. 
This is, these are two opposite people. This lady had to go and beg and plead and plead and please stop. Please help me. Please protect me. Please protect me. Now, he wanted them, the lesson is to keep praying and don't, don't quit. Go ahead and continue back to the Lord. But it's not the same way. Look at the next verse if we can, please. Verse number nine, seven. And shall not the God avenge his own elect, people that he has saved? That's people who are elect in the Bible or people who have trusted Jesus and he has forgiven. Shall not God avenge or protect his elect when they cry night and day unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge how? Speedily, quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. He said, no, your God in heaven is not like that unjust judge. He cares about you. He loves you. You are the pride, his apple of his eye. You, you are loved by him. Boy, one of the things that Satan, society, will not help you believe is that God loves you. Your own heart will sometimes feel like, well, if God loved me, then I, would, I wouldn't have this bad thing happen to me. Uh, our, two of our people out soul yesterday, they met a person, they said, you know what, I used to believe in God, but I've been praying for 50 years for a hole-in-one on the golf course, so I've stopped believing him because I haven't got a hole-in-one. That's silly. That's silly, it's asinine, it's ridiculous. You don't, you don't judge God based upon a prayer request you get and didn't get answered. Heard someone the other day tell me that their, 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 their person has an accusation against God because they prayed that their wife would be healed and it didn't get healed, so I don't want to care about God at all. You know, people around you are going to die. There's a point that every man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. But here's a guy who's created a case against God. You don't want to do that. The God of the Bible loves you with an everlasting love. And if you're saved, he's your heavenly father. He's not like an earthly father. I'm an earthly father. I had an earthly father. And I have made so many mistakes with my children. My kids are very forgiving and I'm so grateful. They're very patient with their dad because I have sinned. And the Bible tells us in the Bible, the book of Hebrews, we had fathers after our flesh who disciplined us and chastened us after their own pleasure. Because I, sometimes I've, I've disciplined my children because they got on my nerves. Not because I wanted to help them. But never has God ever done that. God chastens us for his glory and our benefit. And no chastening when God's disciplining us. He doesn't do it. Uh, it's, not, it's not easy. It's grievous. It's miserable. But afterwards, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And the Bible says, if God doesn't chasten you, he's not your God. He's not your father. Because God chastens everyone who is his child. And if you're saved, you're his elect. You're saved. He will respond to you readily. And I, I think this teaches us a lesson. Several things. First of all, it's in contrast to this unrighteous judge. And this lady showed that she was very persistent. And I think that's the lesson. We need to be persistent, but not trying to overcome God's uh, reluctance. But, but in communication with God. You know... Many of us, and by the way, in context here, this world has an adversary who's against them, who wants to take them to hell. This is one of the reasons I think intercessory prayer is so important. Pray for your neighbor, pray for your coworker, pray for your family that's not saved. Don't stop praying for them because they have an adversary who wants to take them to hell who doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about God, that's Satan. He doesn't care about them. 
He wants them to go to hell and he wants you and I to intercede on their behalf. It's wicked days. Only a few people are pardoned. Imminent judgment is coming upon this planet and upon people. And we ought to intercede for others in prayer and not quit. He said, this is why I've given you this story, so that you will pray for the lost who have an adversary against them. And you'll realize that they're coming against them and pray for them. And don't quit because you have a father in heaven who is praying and listening to the prayers of those who are saved on behalf of those who are not saved. As we conclude today, let's look at the next story real quickly if we can. And the Bible tells us in in verse number um, 9, And he spake this parable, this is the second story, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So he tells us the reason he tells us next story. The first story is so that we would always pray and not quit praying, especially for those within our sphere of influence who do not know Jesus. How many know someone you're praying for to be saved? Would you raise your hand? Linda and I thought about someone this morning we're praying for for salvation. And I've said their names numerous times to the Lord in the last few weeks. I'm going to continue to pray for them because they have an adversary who doesn't care about them. And it wants to take them away. And we want to pray that God will work in their heart. I don't want to stop praying. You, how many of you have loved ones, personal relatives that you're praying still that they'll come to know the Lord as, your, as their Savior? Do you have anybody like that? Don't stop praying for them. He gave us a story that you would pray and not faint. Don't quit praying for them. But here he says, I'm going to tell you this story, especially for those who are self-righteous, who trust themselves for salvation and for, for approval. Look, if you would please, the story. He says in verse number 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, he is a religious leader of the day, and the other a publican, a profane, immoral sinner. Two men went up to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with who? Hmm. Well, I hate to pray and just be talking to myself. I think I've done that before. I think I've prayed just to myself. So this guy didn't pray to God. He was praying to himself. Hmm. God, I thank thee that I am not like other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican over here across the church from me. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing far off would not so much as lift up his eyes into heavens, but smote on his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have mercy upon me. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that has exalted himself shall be what? Put down. He puts himself up, he's going to be put down. And he that humbleth himself shall be what? Exalted. He tells the story. And of course, the Pharisees are following him around. They have been adversarial to him over the last numbers of weeks of his ministry. And he says, you know, I'm going to tell you a story. You're not going to like it, but here's what happens. There's a Pharisee. When you go to Israel, even today, you go to the temple. They don't have a temple, but they do the wall, the wailing prayer wall. When you walk on that property, they insist you put a hat on your head to cover your head. And you go in there into the, into the thing, and, and you'll find many people. There's actually a room off to the left, and, and it's where the religious, orthodox guys who that's worship is their job. 
They go in there. And they've got all the books and the Torah and the different Tammuz and everything there that they study. When a foreigner like myself walks in there, it's a prayer room. Uh, they all of a sudden, if you walk in, everybody starts praying louder all of a sudden. When you walk out, it's just quiet again. You walk in, a stranger walks in, whoa, boy, they start praying louder, a lot louder. You'll see men stand there and they will nod. And I'm not saying they're not sincere, but some of them, they do it for hours and hours so that they can be applauded by friends. You know, when you pray, you don't pray to impress God. You don't pray to impress one another. We're talking to the Lord. But this man, he prayed, he prayed to himself and he exalted himself. You, Lord, I'm just glad. I'm not like him. I'm just glad I'm better than him. I'm glad I don't do this and this and this. And I tithe. <laughs> I tithe. And I, uh, I fast twice a week. And the other guy didn't so much as lift up his head. But he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord said when they left church that day, there's only one prayer that was heard. And that's the prayer for mercy. Not the prayer of self-righteousness. You know, I can see me in this Pharisee from time to time. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. We, we evaluate ourselves, compare ourselves among ourselves, and he says, that's, that's not really what I want you to do, John. What I want you to do is realize, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. When God's extended mercy to you, then you need to come to him on those terms. And God's quickest way down is to set yourself up. God's quickest way for you to go up is to put yourself down. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you. God is trying to teach us things. First of all, don't quit praying. Number two, don't trust yourself. Don't put your faith in yourself or in your accolades or your goodness. Let's stay low. Go slow. No one ever fell off the floor. Let's put our faith in the Lord and trust Him and see ourselves the way God sees us. And that is... Even the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians, he said, you know what you can refer to me as? The chiefest of sinners. May God help us to see the mercies of God. Let's pray. Can we please thank you for listening?